Hello, and welcome back to the Sharia Wellness Podcast. We're your hosts, Jamie Cruz and Ashley Hendrickson. Happy to have you all back. Uh, today, we're going to take a little bit of a look into food sensitivities. Yeah, what are those, and are they real, and how do they show up? Yeah, right? yeah. So I think that's like the, one of my biggest things is when I first started to hear about people with food sensitivities, you're making that up. Right. You're not real. Gluten, come on. We've eaten gluten for how how many, you know, eons? Gluten's an interesting one because, yeah, we have eaten it for eons, but it is now been genetically modified so that it grows differently than it would have. What does that mean, genetically modified? That means that they go in and they change the genetic structure of the plant to make it grow, or the animal, faster, bigger, Etc. so that they can yield more crop or more produce or more meat or milk, right? And so we don't, do we know what's going into that? I have no idea. Nah. No idea. Not an expert there. Um, but basically we're putting something foreign. They're treated with some pesticides, though, that can mess with our gut microbiome. So what does that mean by microbiome? microbiome. So I'm going to be here for you guys, folks, because she speaks alien sometimes. <laughs> uh, microbiome is just like a big word to talk about. I mean, that is what when I use microbiome, I'm talking about our gut and I'm talking about the different strains of bacteria that live there and the ones that we want to have there and the ones that we maybe don't want to have there. Um, but you can have microbiome on the skin. It's the different bacteria that live on our skin, in your mouth, whatever. Hmm. Um, but I'm specifically referring to the gut when I use that term. Well, see, I'm going to learn a whole lot today, too. Yeah. It's fun <laughs> stuff uh -huh. for science nerds, anyway. So why is the microbiome important when we think about gut and... I know that gut and brain are really connected. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So can we maybe talk a little bit about that to yeah. our audience? The gut-brain connection is a real thing. Um, first of all, we make most of our serotonin in our gut. That is a neurotransmitter that we think about when we think about mental health. Mm -hmm. But most of it's made in our gut. And a lot of people refer to your gut as your second brain. Um, if you've ever seen a brain and the intestine together, they kind of look the same. They kind of do, right? They do. And I always joke that the gut is actually the first brain because it doesn't get clouded with judgment or emotion or past experience. Mm -hmm. It is just that... It's raw, baby. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. It's that mm -hmm. primal instinct that we all carry and we're all taught to ignore it. Yeah. And to rationalize or use logic or think our way through. Um, but your gut is, it's its there to let you know when something's not right. It's there to let you know when something is right. Um, but from a functional medicine perspective, we do look at the gut as kind of the foundation of health. Um, and when our gut is off or there's inflammation or the microbiome is out of balance, it can cause all sorts of problems. So in the relationship to food sensitivities, are they real? 100% yes. They're not the same as having an allergy. So you're not going to see somebody like need an EpiPen because they have a food sensitivity, for example. 
Um, but what happens with food sensitivities is everything we eat has this protein structure or molecular structure. And as we're eating the food, if it's something that's causing inflammation, or let's say that you do have, have maybe you've had some exposure to a pathogen, which is one of the bad guys or the gut bugs that we don't really want to see in a healthy microbiome, that can cause inflammation. So we start off looking at the whole gut tube. And I think it's interesting to take a look at it. So we'll take a step back. The gut actually starts in the lining of the mouth. Esophagus, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, colon, anus is where it ends, right? And it's considered to be outside of the body, even though it's an internal organ. And the reason that it's considered to be outside of the body is because it should be a closed system. And what I mean by that is whatever we put in our mouth should pass through and exit without kind of engaging with any of the other systems in the body. So it shouldn't be leaking into the bloodstream and we shouldn't have these proteins floating around um, in our bodies. It should come straight out the other side, right? Yeah. However, we're exposed to stress, toxins, um, foods that are inflammatory for whatever reason, virus, overuse of certain medications potentially, um, or, or prolonged use of certain medications can impact the health of that system. And um, when we look at the small intestine, the intestine actually is only one epithelial cell thick. That's a skin cell. So think about how fragile that tissue is. And they're individual cells, and they're woven together by something called tight junctions. So we think about like um, a garden hose, right? Mm -hmm. That should be totally closed off. It's sealed. The water's not leaking out everywhere. Now, with the intestine, you are probably going to get more of like a... a sieve type sieve how do you say that word mm -hmm. anyway it's a little filter and what we're trying oh. to do oh a sieve or sieve i think it's a sieve anyhow think it's about tomato tomato yeah right <laughs> it's a it's a very tight filter and um what what's happening is there are these little microvilli there are hair like features on the inside of the intestinal wall and they are moving the food through, right? They're kind of sticking up, mm -hmm. pushing things through. And they're also grabbing nutrients and absorbing it, right? But we only want the nutrients, what the vitamins, the minerals, the fats, all that good stuff to be absorbed and then passed through the body through that thin layer, right? Now when we have inflammation, prolonged inflammation due to all of those conditions or potential triggers that we talked about a second ago, that tight junction, which should be woven together nice and tight, holding those cells and creating that strong barrier, starts to kind of um, get weak and compromised. And so we start to see that hose, instead of being like totally sealed off garden hose, now maybe it's like that hose that has all the holes in it and you throw it in the flower bed. Mm -hmm. And now what's happening is undigested food particles, potentially, and those protein molecules of the food that we are eating are leaking out into the bloodstream. Yeah. Why is that a problem? Well, causes inflammation systemically because it's a, a foreign invader. So the immune system now kicks on and it treats it like it would another invader, like a virus or a bacteria that shouldn't be there, and it starts to mount defense. And what that means is that we're starting to now build antibodies against the food's molecular structure, okay? So now every time you eat that food, your body goes into this fight mode. 
Mm, and that's how you start to develop food sensitivities. So they will change over time. Uh, a lot of people have done food sensitivity tests and they're like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to eat? Everything I eat is on this test. Well, yeah, that's because your gut's leaking and your body has now decided that these proteins are a threat because they're somewhere they shouldn't be. And if you stop eating them for an extended period of time, about 21 days is the magic number, those antibody levels will kind of zero out. So then you'll find people retest food sensitivities and the original foods they were reactive to now are not reactive foods, but the ones that they replaced with may start showing up. Interesting. So the more often you eat a food, the more likely you are to be reactive to it if your gut's leaking. And unfortunately, most of us have leaky gut. Um, so what are the ways that we know, right? Like if I asked you, how would you know you have a food sensitivity? What would you think? Float. Yeah. And for sure, that can be a part of it. My poop. Yeah. And we talk a lot about poop. Like My smell. All day long, we talk about poop with functional medicine. Um, but coming back to babyhood, right? Right. Remember yeah. when we like, had babies poops and we would check their poops all the time? Super important. Yeah. Right. And we stopped doing that. Why? Yeah. My kids hate it every day. I'm like, did you poop? Was it, was <laughs> it a good poop? What's yeah. it look like? You yeah. know? Um, it's important to know, like, do you guys even know what good poop should look like? There's a Bristol stool chart out there. If you don't take a look at it, because it is really important. Bristol, B-R-I-S-T-O-L. Yeah. Yeah. How my body's feeling, the inflammation, how I would know. How do we know if there's food sensitivities? All sorts of ways. It will impact every system in the body. So we talked about that gut brain connection. When we have leaky gut, we also have leaky blood brain barrier. And that sounds super scary, but all it really means is those toxins that are now floating around our bloodstream, that inflammation that is systemic because it's now in the blood and in the whole body, can get to the brain. So we can see things like fatigue, insomnia, anxiety, depression, ADHD, uh, brain fog is a huge one, mm-hmm. right? Um, you feel like taking a nap halfway through the day. That could be a blood sugar problem, but it could be an inflammatory response to what you had for lunch, right? Um, it can hit your respiratory system. So we'll see people like get super stuffy nose or start kind of like have a drippy nose or maybe they have to clear their throat or they're feeling a little bit congested. Mm-hmm. Um, arthritis, joint pain. Um, what else? Of course you know, all digestive related, heartburn, bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, um, hemorrhoids, bloody stool, all of those things can be an inflammatory response. I'm not saying that's the only thing at play, but it definitely can be linked to food that has caused inflammation in the body. Um, Skin, that's a huge one. People don't realize that acne really can be a reaction to something you're eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I learned that from you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eczema, um, dry skin, psoriasis. I mean, all of these things that we're conditioned to go get a cream or a prescription for. It's that, it's that symptom. It's the mm-hmm. symptom reduction. Yeah. And so functional medicine is really aiming to identify the root cause. Now, I do believe gut is the foundation, like I said, but I do think we need to look a little bit deeper. And so for most people, it's asking that question, well, why is the gut off in the first place? And it's typically a lot of emotional stress can do it. 
Um, prolonged birth control use can do it for a lot of women. Underlying, like, sort of stealth infections, things like EBV, Lyme disease, Epstein Barr virus. That's the one that's responsible for mono. Ah. It's part of the herpes family. I don't know if everybody really knows that. And it doesn't really matter, I guess. But that's one that most of us have, or at least we know someone who's had mono, right? It's pretty common. And so that that virus goes kind of dormant. We never really get rid of viruses. They just kind of shut down. Mm -hmm. And that one actually tends to have an affinity for the thyroid gland. So it will kind of burrow its way into the thyroid gland. And then during periods of high stress in, in someone's life can kind of reactivate. And so sometimes we see a correlation between mono, EBV, and thyroid dysfunction later in life, usually after someone's had a pregnancy or two. Interesting. Um, Lyme disease is another one. Mold toxicity, heavy metal toxicity. These what would are be, what would be heavy metals? What would that be? Um, uh, mercury, lead, and what would exposure to that look like in the home? Um, yeah, it, it also foods. can. It, it so mold could come from foods and definitely the home and other work environments. Um, heavy metals, fish, so food there, um, water contamination, or it could be passed down from mama to baby. So if mama's heavy metal toxic, there's a good chance that baby probably has had some exposure. We also see it in um, like copper IUD, for example. Yeah. Right. So things that we don't always think about is maybe being long-term detriment. I know I did a ton of research on the copper IUD when I was considering using one, and I did get it, and I think that was a mistake on my part. Um, quite honestly, but all the research says there's no side effects. Yeah. And and again, this is very individual, so it depends on the person and the system and all of the yeah. other factors. My body right? rejected it. Yeah. It wouldn't take. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, just things to consider getting some additional information on if this is something that you are struggling with. Um, but And this is just, again, I think... When you, when you really look into this, I think sometimes my first thought is, my perception is that, oh my gosh, this is a lot of information. And this brings a lot of awareness of what I'm putting in my body and a lot of like, oh my gosh, maybe I shouldn't be, do shouldn't be doing that. Or maybe I shouldn't be eating that. Or I didn't know all of these things. And there's, okay. that's, a, that's all, I guess what I'm saying is, is this is a first step is just, it, creating just awareness. knowledge yeah. of, I didn't even know any of this. Right. I, I Now I can start to see this in my everyday life. And maybe now with this new awareness, you, you'll start paying attention to kind of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then that may pique something, some other curiosity, which may pique some other curiosity. So anxiety happens when I know that we get a lot of information. And then it's like, what do I do with that now? And there's just, I want just to put a pause on that so no one worries or stresses about what you're currently doing and your and your eating habits, again, this is just to, to, to shine a light, just a little yeah. light on, on what's happening. Yeah, in your thank body. you for that because it, it does get very, very overwhelming. And so I would say for anyone who's listening and is like, well, what do I do? Yeah, what do I do now? First step, start tracking your food and keep a journal about how you're feeling. Right. Right. And this is for love. This is not for hate. This is for love. This is this nothing is... to do with weight loss no. or restricting calories. This is just like, hmm, I have migraines and I can't figure out why. Yeah. Or 
why does this acne keep popping up? What's going on here? Or, man, my low back is really aggravating me. I feel like maybe I'm starting with arthritis, you know? And so it's just this, what is your body, how is your body communicating How's to you? How's it talking to you? Are you paying mm-hmm. attention? Mm-hmm. And and also generating awareness, because this is one of my, like, probably pet peeves, I would say, is so much of, of what we experience, these symptoms that we're talking about, are dismissed as normal parts of aging. Yes. And I am here to tell you that not being able to digest your food well and starting to develop arthritis or not being able to sleep is not a normal part of aging. It is common, absolutely, extremely common in our society, but it's not normal. And we tend to really get those two words confused. And so I'm not saying that your food is the end-all, be-all, but it can play a major part in starting to reduce inflammation and stress in the body so that we can heal it Mm -hmm. um, as we move through our healing journeys. There are other reasons, potentially, you know, that you're not sleeping, hormone imbalance, stress, you name it. There's lots of things that are going on, but food plays a much bigger role than most of us have ever been led to believe. And so it's important for people to start to understand that. You know, I'm sure you guys, if you've been listening to us, have heard me say more than once that our bodies talk to us and they start off with a very gentle kind of like, hey, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. And that might be something as simple as like, I don't know, my finger feels a little stiff today. Or I'm getting a little numbness in my little toe. Right. What, what curious about that? What is that? Mm-hmm. Right. Or I just got like a blemish here. What's that about? And then we kind of pass it off as overuse and potentially just arthritis because we're aging or whatever the case may be. Um, and then it gets a little bit louder. And now you've maybe got like a lot of acne or my whole leg is numb right? <laughs> or my back really hurts and I'm having a tough time getting up out of bed in the morning. Um, and it just keeps getting louder until hopefully we pay attention. Unfortunately for most of us, we're not taught to start looking at what outside influences could be contributing. And so we're looking kind of for the quick fix. We're looking for pain management, which is a great tool. I mean, absolutely necessary in many, many cases. But there is a better way to longevity and healing than just managing pain, right? But then we're back to that surviving life instead of living it again. And so the goal really is just to share information, to educate and empower you all so that you can take control of your health and, and start to understand how your body is communicating with you, right? So... Um, I mentioned earlier, a lot of people will do food sensitivity tests. That's a great way to do it. A lot of us need to see that hard proof in black and white. Like this food is like a hard avoid. It's full on red. Don't touch it for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, but not everybody needs that. Not everybody wants that. And not everybody quite honestly can afford that because these tests can get really pricey. Um, and there's lots of conflicting opinions on all of this stuff. So I'll let you all make your own determination, but there's another, there, there are other ways, right? There's journaling, there's um, taking a period of time where we're focused on an, more of an exploratory meal plan, right? Where we're looking at eating foods that are 
really anti-inflammatory and staying maybe away from the ones that we know to be more pro-inflammatory. So we're starting to explore and experiment with what we're putting into our bodies and how our bodies are then in turn communicating with us. Um, IFM's gold standard for identifying this is a 21-day program where you do avoid these pro-inflammatory foods that through their research have been deemed to be likely inflammatory for most people. Um, the reason for that, and this goes back to the, the food sensitivities and how it happens with the antibody development in the immune system, is because math is not my thing, love science, but I can't do math. So let's just say Jamie has a bagel for breakfast this morning, full gluten, and that sends her gluten antibody levels to 100. If she avoids gluten for 4.2 days, which is the half-life of these antibodies, that level will drop to 50. Mm. We go another 4.2 days, now the half-life drops to 25, and so on. It takes about 21 days to zero out at that point. So now you've got kind of a clean system to start over. So that's three weeks of just exploring and experimenting with what the food and the information that you're giving your body is doing for you, right? And then we start with a slow reintroduction challenging these, these potentially inflammatory foods for you process to start to identify which ones are causing the inflammation or the symptom to show up, right? And what we typically see is within the first, I'd say six to eight days can be a little rough for people because your body is like detoxing and letting go of all this stuff and kind of like looking for a quick fix yeah. again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but usually what I see with clients is by like day 10, they're like, I can't believe how good I felt. I don't remember the last time I felt this good. And that just continues to progress until day 21. So when I look back at my experience, it was very similar to that. I had diabetes with my son when I was pregnant with him. He's 14 now. I was a milk drinker as a kid. Like I was drinking two huge glasses of milk with dinner every night as long as I can remember. And um, I had to stop that because of blood sugars. Fast forward, have him and they cleared me so I could drink milk again. So I went and had a huge bowl of cereal and a glass of milk. And it wasn't until after I started drinking milk again that I realized that this heavy feeling I'd had my entire life of like a bowling ball in my lower stomach below my belly button came back with a vengeance. And I thought, wow, I never even realized that that wasn't normal. Right. So, so many of us, we've been eating the foods that we eat for so long. We don't even know what good feels like. We only have our baseline and right. it's all relative. Mm-hmm. Right. So this experience, while it can be challenging, I would maybe challenge you to take a little mindset shift there and see it as a really interesting opportunity to see what your body has to say. Like, what does feeling good feel like? Yeah. You know, start to tap in and tune into what your body's telling you. What good could happen from this? Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, nothing in the world, I think, that can replace personal experience, right? Like I could tell you all day long what I think is going on, Mm -hmm. but when you have firsthand physical experience with something, there's no better teacher. 
Um, so I really encourage my clients to do these types of exploratory diets to try to figure out what's going on because that's that's the first step to change, right? Is yeah. the awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And not doing it alone. So having somebody there with you right. to help makes a big difference too. Yeah. Sure does. Because it can be challenging. And I will say, like, if I'm an expert at anything, it's like figuring out I want ice cream and I can't have dairy or sugar. So what do I do? Yeah. Like, I've got that down pretty good after 14 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So you, you have a huge, a huge asset for all of us who are wanting to explore a little bit more in this, in this awareness of what we're eating and provide alternatives. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All the, the tricks and yeah, to help with sugar cravings and all of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that is kind of it, you guys. I mean, it's not not real complicated. It is food sensitivities are a real thing. They show up in all sorts of different ways. They can impact your mood, your sleep, your energy level, um, how your physical body feels, if you're pooping or not pooping or pooping too much or your poop hurts or whatever. Um, you know, also just your general sense of well-being. So hope it was helpful. If you guys have questions, if there are things that you'd like us to explore a little bit deeper in the future, as always, please feel free to leave us a comment or you can email us at info at shreyawellness.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hope that this was informative and not too much information yeah um but again if you are kind of curious about how food might be impacting you just keep a log in the journal and start paying attention to to what you're experiencing out there yeah all right well thanks guys thanks for listening and we will see you next time thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.